Well, greetings North Andover campus. I feel like it's been forever since I've been here. So if we have not met, my name is John Paul. I'm a pastor here at the church, and I'm here at the North Andover campus probably once a month. We've just launched a new um, sort of rhythm of ministry here at the church. So um, things that happen at the Andover campus flow this way. For years, they've been happening here and flowing that way. And we're just flipping it over just to keep people on their toes and to just uh, just because we can. So anyway, my point is it's good to be back. It's been so long. I was traveling and I took a trip to China this summer and I never intended to go to China. I mean, I did for this trip, but prior to that, I, I had no real aspirations to do that. But I had an opportunity to go with a group from uh, the seminary where I study and learn about the church and how things are going over there. And Soon, in the next couple weeks, I'd like to do a debrief from that trip and share some pictures and some insights with you about things that I learned while I was over there. But for now, let me just give you one thing. For those of you who know me or have interacted with me for some time, you may know, or perhaps you may not know, that I have a very high value of what I call personal space. So if I'm here, by virtue of me being here, that's my space. And by virtue of you being where you are, that's your space. And I'll share my space with you by giving you a hug or a handshake. But other than that, you know, this is kind of my space and that's your space. I think it's a cultural thing. I didn't know this before, but it's sort of a cultural thing. In our country, we have the value of, you know, personal property and individualism. And that's sort of a thing that extends to my personal space. I found out in China, they do not have that value. <laughs> uh, it's much more of a communal culture, and they share everything, including personal space. So just because I'm standing here doesn't mean that's my space at all. The pushing and the bumping was unbelievable, and that makes me uncomfortable. And I was in big cities, and they were crowded places, and um, I was at one tourist site, uh, sort of this, uh, where the emperor used to worship and pray on behalf of the people, and I stood in a long line, and I got to the place where you could see this place where they would pray. And I felt a tugging on my pants. And I thought somebody was trying to steal my wallet. So I turned around. And it was this little old lady. And she grabbed me by the belt loop and pulled me out to put herself in front of me so that she could see me. And she just pulled me out of the way. I was on an elevator. And I, the elevator's going down in a hotel. And I get on the elevator. And it was crowded. I backed in. And the door shut. And then it hit the lobby, and the doors opened, and people started to cut in front of me, even though I was at the crack of the doors. I mean, I was this close to the door, and I started to move, and everybody started to move. And the people on the outside started to move in at the same time. That's just how people, and I don't, I'm not judging that. I'm not saying uh, it's superior to let people off and then let people on. I mean, I think that's more practical, but I'm not, I'm not judging it. Um, the subway, walking down the street, and I'm a... In China, I'm a pretty big guy. So I'm walking down the street, I don't look Chinese, I think I stick out, yet you're walking into me. You know, we're just walking down the street, oh, oh, and they just keep going. And I'm thinking, we just we just crashed. But it was no big deal to... Why do I tell you this story? Oh, first of all, if you think it's funny to then, after service today, to bump into me, or kind of brush up against me, because it's because that's funny. First of all, that's not original. People have done that, and it's not funny. So, so you can do it if you if you want to be unoriginal and unfunny. But um, otherwise, let me know if you you know if we're gonna hug or shake hands. That's totally fine. 
uh, the bumping, not funny. Okay, so the why, why, why? The, I'm sharing this with you because uh, at, at the heart of what's going on in the scripture that Matt just read for us was that there was a, a space that got crowded out. It was, it was supposed to be a place that was open and inviting, a place where people could pray and, and really find God in a special way. And it got crowded out by things that did not belong there. And it really, it made for a very uncomfortable, the same way, you know, me walking down the street in, um, you know, Shanghai. It's, it was kind of, I'm picturing it sort of crowded and uncomfortable like that. On a broader level, if you think about your own life, and as I think about my life, not just physical crowding, but our lives can get crowded. Crowded with to-do lists, crowded with tasks and Programs, even good stuff like church programs. Oh, got to get the family night tonight. Oh, we got to get the soccer tomorrow night. Got to get to the gymnasium. Got to get to the next thing. Get to the next thing. And we, our lives be, can become very crowded, and God's good purposes can get crowded out even when we don't realize it. So this is an important message for all of us, and I'm going to pray as we uh, take a look at God's word today. So let's pray. Father, you are good, and we thank you for new seasons and for new times, and we just... Thank you for all who are in this room because you knew that everybody in this room would be here. Nobody is here by accident, Lord. And I just pray that as we consider your word, as we consider our own lives, that, Lord, you just do your good work. That whatever you have intended will be. And we know that's the case. We just pray that your spirit would teach us in this time. Thank you for your love, that you care for us enough that you do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, there's this really crowded scene at the temple where Jesus goes in and he's kind of trying to clear things out. Um, but we're also looking at what happened just before then. This is two kind of strange events in the ministry of Jesus. You know, Jesus becoming angry and flipping things over. But this, his interaction with the fig tree is actually really strange. Let's take a look here. Verse 12. It's printed on the back of your bulletin if you want to follow along. It says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. He reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the fig tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So what happened is Jesus is hungry, he sees a tree, he sees the leaves, he goes to get the fruit, he goes to get fruit off the tree. He doesn't find any, he curses the tree. We later find out the tree dies. It withers and dies. This does not look good for Jesus. You have to admit that. This is not good. Jesus came to bring life. Jesus came to bring peace. Why is he killing trees? Why is he cursing? Jesus isn't supposed to destroy. He's supposed to sort of restore. Is Jesus just using his power to spite the tree because he was angry, because he was grumpy, because he was hungry? This is range. This is perhaps an abuse of power. And, quite honestly, unfair. Because as the text says, it's not the season for figs. So if Jesus goes to a fig tree looking for figs and it's not fig season, how could the fig tree possibly be producing figs? And he curses the tree anyway. And it dies. So this is, this is strange. What's going on here? Over the, this is, this is an old text, this is written a long time ago. 
and other people have noticed this is strange and have tried to understand it. A uh, few things. One, this is, I, this is how I understand what's going on. In the, this is happening around the time of the Passover. That's why they're heading towards the, the temple and the temple courts. And this is when Jews would travel from all over the region to go into worship and to offer sacrifices to pay their temple tax. It was an annual tax. So they're in the right place, but we know it's springtime. And when the leaves come out on the fig tree, there's also little nodules or little buds that sprout early. And you could, if you're traveling or if you're poor or hungry, you could go up to a fig tree and break those off and eat them. And when, when the figs actually grow, those things would fall off. And you could eat those. Uh, that's one explanation is Jesus is going to look for these little things. He doesn't see them. So if there's a leafy fig tree and there's no nodules, no buds, then that would something's wrong. Something's not right. And I think that's a good explanation. Others say uh, that actually there's premature, almost right away in the springtime, there's little premature green figs on a fig tree. Not a big ripe fig, but, you know, the early fruit. And you can eat that. The only problem is it tastes terrible. And nobody would eat it. So why is Jesus so upset that he didn't find this terrible eating, terrible to eat food? Quick story. When I was in China, I, I sort of made a commitment that whatever I was served, I would eat. And we didn't order any food. It was all pre-ordered, and they brought it to the table, and it was just plate after plate of food. And I said, I'm going to try everything. I may not like everything, but I'm at least going to try it. I was served something called stinky tofu. That's the translation. Has anybody ever had stinky tofu? Okay. It's terrible. And I took a little bite in two of my colleagues, and we all, we ate it, and we're trying not to make faces and offend anybody, but this stuff is horrible. We had to ask the server to come back to the table to remove the stinky tofu from the table because it was so stinky. It smelled like a middle school locker room, boys' locker room. Like, it was like sneakers. It was terrible. And our hosts, our local hosts, were laughing as we did this. And I said, I said, look, I don't want to offend anybody, but this stuff's terrible. Who actually eats this? And they're laughing, and they said, no one eats stinky tofu. I said, well, why'd you serve me stinky tofu? And they said, because we do that. We just serve it. It's traditional, and nobody eats it. But um, they got a real kick out of this to see the Westerners trying this stuff. So what's my point? Whatever Jesus is going for on the tree is not going to taste good anyway. However you view what Jesus is doing, he's trying to make a point. Because if I'm Mark, and, if, and I'm writing this story of Jesus's life, and I worship Jesus, and I follow him, and I want other people to know and follow Jesus, I'm going to leave this story out. There's other ways that I could demonstrate from Jesus's life that he has power over nature. I have other ways that I can prove that Jesus is powerful. I don't need the dead fig tree to prove my point. I just leave it out. But you need to leave it in because he's, Jesus is making a very important point. He's just, whether he's really hungry or not, what he's trying to do is show them that if you have something that's in leaf and looks healthy, but there's no real fruit there, there's a problem. He's making a metaphor about God's people, about the nation of Israel. You read the Old Testament, and there's a lot of images for who God's people are. One of those images is a fig tree, that God's people are like a fig tree that's supposed to be fruitful. And the prophet Micah, hear this, this is Micah 7.1. 
says this. This is God speaking through the prophet Micah. He says, what misery is mine? I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There's no cluster of grapes to eat. None of the early figs that I crave. Early figs. So I don't know if that's in light here. But certainly the idea is in light here that there's a tree, fruit is desired, and there's no fruit there, and this is a problem. God is not finding the proper fruit. This is a lesson Jesus is giving against hollow religion. Something that looks very leafy and good, but no real fruit. Again, this is peak season of worship. Hundreds of thousands of, 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 of Jews descending on the temple to worship. And, and he's saying, look, there's a lot of activity, but not a lot of fruit. And if we're not careful, our lives and our church can become places with a lot of activity and not a lot of fruit. We are in a season of activity in our church. We had a big picnic last week, and then there was a prayer meeting, and there's a potluck tonight, and another prayer meeting, and then there's a family night, and then there was a Nerf war last week. I didn't even know what a Nerf war would be unless you go and war Nerf war. It's, did anybody go to that? You guys know? Yeah, so um, you can ask them about it. But there's a lot of activity, but when God looks at our lives, and he looks at our church, and he peels back the, the leaves, is there real fruit there? That's the question for us. What is real fruit? What is real fruit? John chapter 15, Jesus tells us, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And this is my command, love each other. So Jesus said, you were chosen by me to bear fruit. And as you bear fruit, you can, your prayer will be fruitful, so your relationship with God will be fruitful, and you will love one another, that's my command, so your relationships with each other will be fruitful. So as we bear fruit, love of God and love of other will happen fruitful. Well, what is real fruit? Scripture teaches the fruit of God's spirit. Again, fruit isn't something that we do Fruit is something that God does, that God produces in our heart. It's the outworking of His Spirit. Scripture teaches that the fruit of the Spirit are things like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the types of things that God's Spirit produces which should flow from us. How? How do we get this real fruit that we're supposed to have to flow from us? Good news. Jesus tells us, again, John chapter 15. He said, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. This is another horticultural image here. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If someone remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's about remaining in God. It's about fellowship with God. Primarily, we fellowship with God through prayer meditation on his word and speaking to him and, and listening to God's voice in our life. That's why when we start a busy season of ministry in the church, we stop and have a week of prayer. And I hope you've been able to participate in that this week. And tonight we're going to share testimonies. And I, I certainly welcome you to join us at the Andover campus tonight uh, to hear those stories and to take time in, in your busy day to take time and stop 
and pray and reflect on God's word. That's why we prioritize that. So that's the point of the fig tree. Jesus is making a point. He's not to destroy a tree, not because he's angry. It's because he wants people to know when God pulls back the leaves, he wants to see go free. Now this makes the next sort of awkward thing Jesus does make perfect sense. Take a look. This is um, now in verse 15. Jesus makes it to Jerusalem. He enters the temple courts, and he begins driving out those who are buying and selling there. Uh, verse 15, he overturns the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple court. And he taught them, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You've made it a den of robbers. So what we have is a time of year, like I said, where people had to offer sacrifices. So they needed animals. They had to pay their temple tax. They needed the right currency. They actually needed these things. Jesus is not upset that uh, people are getting ripped off. He says, den of robbers, and we think, oh, there must have been some kind of corrupt thing going on. That's not really what was happening. What was happening was, what, well, what used to happen was this market where people could exchange currency and they could buy and sell animals used to happen at the Mount of Olives, which is near the temple, across the way. And people would do their business, and then they would come into the temple as needed. As a matter of convenience for the worshipers, all that stuff got moved into the outer court of the temple, so it was actually right there on site. And the whole place becomes overrun with cattle and sheep and doves. And it was just to be convenient. But the problem is this outer court of the temple was meant for Gentiles. It was meant for people who were not Jews to come and to pray and to have space and, and that space was getting crowded out because the people just needed convenience. The criticism is the intent is worship and prayer, and what happened was busyness and crowding those things out. To make his point, Jesus quotes two passages of Scripture from the Old Testament, and I want to show you where he quotes from because it's going gonna, it's gonna to weigh a little heavier for us here. The first quote he gives is from... Isaiah chapter 56. Do we have? Okay, we have this for you on the slides. Follow along with me here. Jesus talks about this house of prayer. But look at the context. Isaiah 56, verse 7. Now I'm going to start at verse 3. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any unit complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name that is better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. That's that house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. He's talking about two groups of people. There's foreigners who say, oh, I don't really belong in God's family. And there were people who had uh, d deformities or uh, they 
they were disabled, and they said, I don't really fit in God's family. And God said, no, I've got a place for you. And I've got a name for you, my name. And you're going to worship in my mountain. Your sacrifices will be acceptable to me. You're not excluded from my family. And to represent that at the temple, they couldn't, these groups, if you were uh, disabled or handicapped or different injuries, you couldn't go all the way into the temple. And if you were not a Jew, you couldn't go all the way in. But there was a place for you to pray. There was a place for you to gather. And, but that gathering place had gotten crowded out, and Jesus gets mad. Like you, you've, this space that's special for these people, you've crowded them up. Think of the clutter. This is a big open area, 300 meters by 450 meters. But Jesus goes in. If you even have a handful of cows, have you ever been around a handful of cows? They're big. You can't get too close. They kick. They bite. They poop. They smell. Animals smell. And when you crowd... If you get crowds of people and crowds of animals, it's not a great place to sit and pray, quite honestly. Take a look at this. Um, Jesus said, look, you've taken this special place, you've turned it into a den of robbers. Look at the context of this one. This is Jeremiah chapter 7. This is what this says. If you really change your ways... Again, God's speaking through his prophet. If you change your ways and your actions and deals with, deal with each other justly and do not oppress the alien, right, the outsider, think Gentiles, uh, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. And if, you follow, if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. But look, you're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury and burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you've not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. God's saying this, look, you can't oppress people and crowd people out and treat people unjustly and, and sin and all of false things and then just do your acts of worship and your rituals and paying your taxes and think that I didn't see all that stuff. This is totally what the people were doing in this temple court totally undermined the purpose of what was going on. Undermines the mission. Primarily that space was to be a space of prayer for the outsiders, not a matter of convenience for the insiders. It was supposed to be about worship, not about animals and a market. That's the point Jesus made with the fig tree and with the court. So here's your question. What in the world does this have to do with us? North Andover, Free Christian Church, 2017, what in the world? A few things. One, the church is to be a house of prayer. Not this building. The church is us. It's, it's everybody sitting here. It's me. We are the church. We are to be a house of prayer. We are to be a people of prayer. We are to be a praying church. Not just a church that prays, but a praying church where prayer is our first reaction, our first response, our first means of communication. And the rest of what we do together is going to flow from a life of communion with our loving God. He has paid the way that we can do that. 
Not only are we to be a house of prayer, but we are a house of prayer for the nations. We need to make space in our church and in our lives for outsiders, for people who don't know the Lord. Again, our prayer isn't just about our personal relationship. It is about that, but it's not primarily just for us. It's to be a blessing to the whole world. It's to be able to speak of God's love to people who don't know it, for people who are desperate for it, that they might be invited in, not crowded out. So in your prayer life, is there room in your prayer, and is there room in my prayer for outsiders? I pray for my needs, I pray for my family, I pray for my church, but do I pray for my neighbors who don't know the Lord? Do I pray for people I interact with who, who are just lost and hurting and broken? We say things like, pray for six. We have the little bookmarks. We probably have some in the building here. You know, write down the name of six people who you're just trusting God. Just write their names down. Put it in your Bible just as a way to prompt you. And again, if you don't like lists, don't do that. Just pray for one. God, give me one person today to show your love to. And make room for other people as you pray. Uh, even in this space, can, you know... We love to catch up with people we know on Sunday mornings and greet one another, but can we make space for people we don't know and, re and introduce ourselves to other people who we don't know? Now, one of the problems, and I've noticed this, and I've, well, I've noticed it in me, so maybe for you, um, you meet somebody, you forget their name, and then you don't want to go back up and like, pretend like you know their name, because you don't, and it's really hard to get away with that for very long, and you're embarrassed. So what we'll do is just pretend like we all have this deficiency that I have and just reintroduce your name as you look, hey, I'm Dave, I knew that, you know, and you could be truthful or you can be as truthful as you want in that moment, but just reintroduce ourselves, reacquaint, you know, you go up to somebody and say, hey, you, you're new here, what's your name? And they say, actually, I've been coming to this church, you know, since, um, since the 1980s. You say, oh, haha, <laughs> and laugh. So those of you who chuckle, do that. Because it happens, it's fine. But let's just, my point isn't how to do this right. The point is, are we making space for each other and being a, a place that's inviting and welcoming? That's my, that's my thing. We have, a, we have two opportunities coming up. One is an alpha course, you saw the video information. The other is, and this is brand new information, we just learned about it. There's gonna be a concert in this room on Saturday. On Saturday. Peter Vantine, for those who know him, he's led us in worship before. He's doing a piano concert here, and uh, we've been invited to sort of co-sponsor. It's his concert, but we're gonna, um, if you wanted to invite a neighbor or a friend or somebody to hear beautiful, sacred music, and there'll be some other guest artists, it's kind of a, a really top-notch flight of music, um, invite them back here. It's Saturday at seven o'clock. We'll get information, we're gonna push information to you so that you can use that if you want to invite somebody. One of the barriers to inviting people into the church is, we don't have cows in the way, thank goodness, but one of the barriers is people really are nervous to come in. They don't feel like they belong. People say things like, oh, I'd go to your church, but the roof would cave in, or they use that kind of language. And, ha -ha. But really, people don't, they're really not interested in visiting church, but they might like music, and maybe something like a concert, if that's helpful for you, if, it would, if they would like that. Invite them, and then they're in the door, and you can say, this is where I worship on Sundays. You know, this is a Trinitarian church in the morning, and then we uh, worship here in their space, and we've been sharing space, and this is, this is how we worship. And, or this is where we worship, and then that's the whole idea of the building caving in on them, that whole thing, haha, uh -huh, it's gone. And it opens a door. 
it, it, quite literally, they're just in the threshold of the church. Again, it's just one thing. The point is, how am I considering to make space for outsiders? Let me wrap with this. Thank you, I took extra time, thank you. Really the reason this is, this stuff like this happens for me is because my prayer, my life, ends up focused a little bit on me more than others. And I need my heart changed by God to be able to fully enter in this kind of love where I'm looking out for others. And the problem in Jesus' day was the clutter and the selfishness, but it was also that those Gentiles could only go so far. They could only get into the outer court. The eunuchs and anybody who was disabled, they had a little spot, but they couldn't go all the way. If you were female, you could go a little further, but not all the way. If you were Jewish, you could go a little bit further in your worship, but certainly not all the way. And if you were a priest, you could get in, still not all the way. Oh, really, only one person on one day in a special way could go all the way into God's presence and experience and worship Him fully. But the trajectory of God's promises, as we looked at those passages Jesus quoted, was that all people, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter any of that stuff, that all people can go all the way. Jesus made that happen. Our sin and our selfishness separates us from this full worship of God, but Jesus Christ took our sin and our selfishness and all of our brokenness on himself, on the cross. That's why he had to die. He took all the punishment for us, and he gives us a new life. He raises new life. He gives us that new life. His spirit is in us, producing fruit, real fruit. And now, when, when in the Bible records, when Jesus was crucified, the, the barrier in the temple tore wide open, showing that it doesn't matter if you're a woman, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, it doesn't matter if you're disabled, it doesn't matter who you are. Everybody can go all the way to experience God's love in his presence. And we just want to be a people who take that love take that experience of God's presence and extend it to the world around us. May we be people who can truly love others in that way.